If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Good evening and welcome to episode 5 of the Yapping Yankees podcast where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. I am your host as always, Mike Scudero, here with you on this lovely but very hot Sunday evening, July 14th, 2019. How the hell are you? Welcome to another edition of Yapping Yankees. Boy, what a day it has been. Busy, busy Sunday. I'm recording this kind of late. Right now it's about 6.30 p.m. Usually I record this right after... A day game for the Yankees ends on a Sunday, typically like right after a 1 o'clock game ends. But today, I was actually in Brooklyn for the whole day for about maybe four hours from, I don't know, maybe around 12.30 until around 3.30 or around 4. I was in Brooklyn in my dad's old neighborhood celebrating the the Lady of Mount Carmel uh, feast. It's a big feast that they have in Brooklyn each year, each year in the summertime. It's really, really nice. And they usually pick a Sunday for it right in the middle of July, and that happened to be the, the Sunday today. So... That's where I was in the middle of the day today, and I didn't get home until maybe about 20 minutes ago. So I came into today knowing, oh my goodness, I'm gonna I'm gonna be recording this podcast a little later, a little later than I usually like to do. So here we are with episode five of Yapping Yankees. A lot to get through with the second half of the New York Yankees season beginning, and the second half of all of baseball starting up again as well. And as we know. As typically we start off the show, giving a shout out or giving multiple shout outs. So today I'm shouting out as always, as I do at the top of every show, Team Left Jab United Radio Network. So be sure to find Team Left Jab guys across all social media platforms at Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course, the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. So be sure to check out Team Left Jab. Sam does a really nice job over there. Has me on the show a few times. It's always a lot of fun talking about baseball, wrestling, whatever he wants to talk about. So, yet again, I also do want to shout out a friend of mine on Twitter, Ron Fodor. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Ron, because... Ron has come into my comments a lot on Twitter, and he's really been supportive of the podcast, uh, along with many, many other of, of my Twitter followers. So many people have come out in support and given me some really positive feedback about this podcast, which really, it gives me a lot of confidence to keep on going, and it it gives me a lot of good feelings about what I'm putting out to you guys, you know, because I, while I do this show, yes, I do it for my own enjoyment at the same time, but... I don't do it just to sit here and do it fully for my own enjoyment. I also want to know that other people are out there enjoying it. So I'm very, very glad that it's being received very well by so many people. And I just wanted to give a shout out to at Fodor underscore Ron. That's his at, but his name is Ron Fodor. Go to find him on Twitter. If you're not following him already, he's a really good guy. And he just he's been really, really supportive. So thank you, Ron, and thank you to everybody else on Twitter in particular that is always supportive of the podcast. Also, another good friend of mine, Gina Pacifico on Twitter, always listens to the podcast and gives me positive feedback. So thank you to her and everybody else. And also, do be sure to go follow Gina Pacifico on Twitter. She's got a big following. She's a good follow. So go ahead and do that. 
So, you know what, if you want to get shout outs on this podcast, as always, you know, you could just DM me with a question, comment, concern, whatever you want having to do with the Yankees, or just, you know, tell me you love the podcast, you know, that's, that's what I love. And it really, it really gives me the, the encouragement to continue on with this. So, also to start off the show, this past week, I did another poll, and I think I'm going to make this a weekly thing in the podcast because it's a lot of fun. Now, I, I made another poll in the beginning of the week, and it had to do with the trade deadline, of course. The Yankees are, of course, rumored with a lot of pitchers, and, and a lot of the fans want them to get a pitcher, whether it's Trevor Bauer or Marcus Stroman or Madison Bumgarner, whoever it may be, or a total other pitcher. So five days ago, I put up a poll on Twitter, and I'm going to address this each, each week as I do it because I'll have a new poll each week. And I do put in parentheses, I even say in parentheses, I said it for this poll. It says poll for yapping Yankees in parentheses. So you know that if this poll is for the podcast, I will be discussing it on the show. So here's the poll. Which starting pitcher do you want the Yankees to acquire? Now, I put three choices. Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman, or Madison Bumgarner. And then I also put a fourth choice that says other, and if you have another, then comment. Now, I'm kind of surprised by this. I mean, I, I expected I expected one of these choices to get a lot more votes, but I, apparently not. The results shaped out to be like this. Trevor Bauer won the poll with 48% of the vote, and then behind him with 26% was Madison Bumgarner, and then with 18% getting the lowest one other than the choice that says other, of course. Of the three, Marcus Stroman finished with the lowest at 18%. That surprised me a little bit. Because I know there are a lot of people out there that are not fans of Marcus Stroman, whether it be for his personal life or they don't like his attitude or you know how he acts. I, I guess I understand that. But the fact of the matter remains, you look at Marcus Stroman's ERA, it's, it's the best of the bunch, I would say, or one of the best. I mean, that's undeniable, but I... I get there are plenty of other reasons that people wouldn't want Marcus Stroman on the Yankees. I get it. But I expected Bumgarner to get a little bit more. I I kind of expected Trevor Bauer to get that much and win, but I don't know. The low voting on Marcus Stroman kind of surprised me a little bit. The poll got one comment. At Sean Young 2 said Max Scherzer. The only... (sighs) Max Scherzer's tough. And so is Trevor Bauer. Because now that the Indians like had a little bit of a surge, and they've chased after the Twins a little bit more in the Central, people are starting to doubt that Cleveland might be willing to give away Trevor Bauer at this point. And even some people were going, oh, they might give up Corey Kluber, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But even now that they're a little bit more in contention, I- I'm I'm not sure they'd even give up Trevor Bauer now. I'm not sure. Because the thing is, Teams usually love to sell around the trade deadline if they're out of contention and really have no chance. That's why the San Francisco Giants, who are six games under 500 and in dead last in the NL West, 17 games back of first behind the Dodgers, that's why someone like them may be way more likely to deal someone like Madison Bumgarner. So it's... It's a little difficult when you look at teams and they might be starting to get back into contention because that team might say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe we want to hang on to this guy for a little bit more. We're starting to do a little something here. You know, even Washington's in second place. The Nationals even passed the Phillies, who really 
just went down like a house of cards at some point. They're only three games over 500 now, 48 and 45. So the Nationals, who were granted they're in second place and still six and a half games out of first behind the Braves, if you're battling for an NL wild card spot, I mean, which which they they have the first wild card in the National League right now. Are you really gonna give up Max Scherzer? I would say no. <laughs> so that's why a lot of these a lot of these trade propositions and these trade proposals that so many fans love to put together. If they were putting these together way earlier when things were looking different in the standings, might not be the same now. Because if you're in contention, you don't want to give away one of your biggest assets on your team. So, things have changed, certainly. Trevor Bauer, the likelihood of him leaving could be much lower now. Max Scherzer, likelihood of him leaving could be much lower now. Guys like Zach Wheeler on the collapsing Mets may start to look more likely. Marcus Stroman, since the Blue Jays are really bad, may look more likely. Madison Bumgarner, although you know he has a certain no-trade list, he's definitely more likely to be moved. So you never know. The list could be different now. And Matthew Boyd, even, his name's been thrown around. But you know me. I've been preaching that, saying that I hope the Yankees get that really, really big difference maker that, that will, you know be the one that pushes them at, to the point where they need to be pushed, that will help them get far in the playoffs, that'll give them that reliable arm out of the rotation. When the, his his turn comes around in the rotation, you say, okay, we could really rely on him. He'd be good. So these are the guys that you want, not the fill-in bandage pieces, the middle mid-to-back-end rotation guys. I'm, I'm done with that. Cashman needs to prove that he can acquire some solid starting pitching when it's in need because I've said it time and time again. Even though this bullpen has a tendency to slip up sometimes, I mean, who doesn't? Even the best of the best are going to make mistakes at times. But this bullpen, in my opinion, is ready to win a championship. The lineup, although they've been struggling a little bit lately, I mean, not really lately, the last five games, kind of a small sample size, but they've been struggling a tiny bit lately, but I still think this lineup is ready to win a championship. The starting rotation needs to get more with it. You need more reliable arms other than Tanaka. Because you look at the rest of the rotation. I mean, you're glad to have Herman back. I mean, since he came back, he's been great again. But, you know, he's going to hit that innings limit soon. And they're going to have to do something with him. You look at the rest of the rotation. Paxton, been very inconsistent. Jay Happ, although his last two starts have looked really good. they've He's looked much better. He's been inconsistent and really, really bad at most times of the season. You hope that since the second half of this year is around now, that he can channel some of last season's second half J-Hap, in which case he would be really good for the rest of the year. But that's a big if, and you can't fall back on that and be fully confident. You look at CeCe, you don't know what he's going to do, even though he's been he's had himself some bad starts, and he's had himself some really good starts. But again, you can't fall back on a guy that's 38, 39 years old in his last season. You need someone else in the rotation that when his turn comes around, you say, okay, we have a good chance at winning today. When Paxton or Hap or CeCe step on the mound, you're not really sure what's going to happen. You're like, oh, let's see what let's see what Paxton we get today, or let's see what Hap we get today, or let's see what CeCe we get today. So there is work to be done, and we'll see if Cashman could properly get that work done. I'm always confident in Cashman. I happen to think he's one of the best general managers in baseball. I think he's really, really good. But he is yet to prove 
that he can acquire a start a solid starting pitcher. And in every other aspect, he's really aggressive. He's really aggressive to acquire that guy that will upgrade the lineup. He's really aggressive to upgrade the bullpen, even though it's already strong. But he's yet to prove that he can really jack up the starting rotation. And I want to see it. Because if the starting rotation is very, very reliable, I think this team could legitimately win the World Series this year. I truly think that. And I think a lot of other people think that too. And that's why they're so in on wanting the Yankees to get a solid arm. So we'll see if they can get it done. That's the important thing. But that was the poll with the starting pitching. I thought it was a little interesting. But Trevor Bauer won it. He seems to be the popular choice. I know he has a lot of people out there that are not a fan of his because of how he is on Twitter and this and that. But you know what? What he does on Twitter is his business. It's whatever. I mean, people can pretend to act like, oh, how would that personality mesh in New York? Oh, it would be great. Oh, it would suck. We don't know what would happen until he's here. Now, people love to predict that sort of stuff, but we don't know what would happen unless he's here. But again, as far as his skill, I would really like to have Trevor Bauer here. But again, because the Indians, who were much further back of the Twins before than they are now, since they surged up a little bit, you might not see the Indians surrender him to anybody anymore. You never know. But we'll see what happens as the trade deadline draws closer. Just thought that poll was interesting. But... Anyway, we are in the second half now, of course. The All-Star break passed. The Yanks, the Yankee players did well in the All-Star game. Tanaka had a shut shutout second inning. Chapman was very dominant, closed out the game at the end. Torres and Sanchez had hits. Good night for the Yanks all around. Pretty good. And especially, the home run derby was fantastic. Especially from the second half on, when Jacques Peterson and Vlad Guerrero Jr. had their showdown in the second round. I mean, the next night on the All-Star game, the All-Star game for most of the game was pretty boring, but the home run derby, the home run derby was great. Vlad Guerrero, despite him not winning because he was exhausted, and rightfully so in the final round, he hit a total of 91 home runs throughout the night. But I do, you've heard me say it on this podcast before, I've said it many times to my personal family and friends, and I've said it many times on Twitter, I'm a big fan of Pete Alonso's, I happen to think that Pete Alonso is a stud, he's a great baseball player, so congrats to him, listen, you win the home run derby by winning your rounds, it doesn't matter how many home runs you hit total, that's just the way it works, and that's what Pete Alonso did, Vlad Guerrero was tired at the end. What are you going to do? Pete Alonso went out there in the final round and did his job and won the home run derby. So congrats to him. But, 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 I really wish that Vlad Guerrero did end up winning the third round and winning the whole thing because he really put on the show. I mean, he and Jock Peterson, especially in that second round, three ties, 40 home runs for Vlad in a single round, 39 for Jock. It's crazy. It was really, really exciting. That's the kind of excitement the Home Run Derby needs and the kind that everybody wants out of it. So that was fantastic. It was so much fun. And for that reason, I wish Vlad won. I really wish he won. And there are people saying, oh, you know, Vlad's the true winner, this and that. And while I I tend to agree with that, well, Pete Alonso was the winner. He did what he had to do. And even though he barely made it past the first and second rounds on time-wise, he got past him. It's not his fault Vlad Guerrero Jr. was tired in the final round. Pete did what he had to do, and he won. So he deserves it. Congratulations to him. But a part of me, because of the kind of show that he put on, 
wishes that Vlad won. But they both did a great job. Guerrero Jr. was something else. But at the same time, congrats to Pete Alonso nonetheless. So, let's keep on moving along. In Yankee news, Luke Voigt returns from the I.L. Thank God he's back. His presence just on the field right when he gets on. You already feel Luke Voigt's presence and how it's going to help the team. Sevy and Betances, they're about to begin their new throwing programs very shortly, so that is awesome news. And, you know, you don't really know what capacity someone like Severino will be used in. Because even though, even though he was cleared to start his throwing program, he still has a ways to go, especially to get back to where he was. I mean, a lot of people don't see a Sevy return until September. I mean, I, I see that as pretty likely. I find it hard to believe that he would return in August. I mean, listen, if he did, that'd be great. But I'm not so sure about that. And to get him back to where he was before, throwing six, seven innings of great baseball and and just having him throw that amount of pitches again after missing as much time as he has and as much time as he will continue to miss until his return, a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe he'll be using the bullpen, long relief, might not even be in the rotation, who knows? But, you know, if if Severino is to come back, you know, that would be your big acquisition, definitely. That would be a big acquisition. I'm still an advocate for wanting the Yankees to go out and get another starting pitcher, but that would be a big return, whether it be in a long relief roll out of the pen or not. But it's good nonetheless to hear that they're starting their throwing program. And in an already strong bullpen, of course, the addition of Dellen Batances coming back would be that much greater. There have been times where we have certainly felt the void of not having Batances out in that bullpen when other arms are tired or when certain other people didn't have their stuff. In the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I'm missing Dylan Batances right now. <laughs> That's totally normal. Batances is one of the upper echelon guys in the pen. That's not wrong to feel that. So... That's definitely very good news that they're starting the throwing programs. Definitely happy to hear that. I want as many guys as possible returning from the IL, but there happens to be one guy that happens to not be anywhere near coming back, and that's John Carlos Stanton. He apparently, as reported by Meredith Morakovitz on the Yes Network originally during the Yankee game, she said that he is really, he's still got a ways to go before returning. Betty feels really good about trying to stretch that double into a triple now. I mean, I don't mean to—I don't mean to sound heartless about it, but it was an—it was an unnecessary stretch, and I'm sure he regrets it now. But it was a tough break. It was a tough break. You know, he just got off the IL, probably wanted to do something big, and it didn't work out in his favor. It happens. It's life. <laughs> but you know, according to Meredith, he's nowhere—he's nowhere near coming back. So Giancarlo's going to remain on the shelf for a little while more, it seems. So next up, we'll do our regular. We'll do our regular weekly recap here on Yapping Yankees of what's been going on with the Yankees. And of course, as you know, since the All-Star break just ended, it ended on Friday, well, officially Thursday when the Astros and Rangers played, but on Friday, the Yankees' All-Star break ended as they returned to action. So the only thing to recap are three games, really. Usually we have six, seven games, maybe sometimes five to recap each week, but the only thing this past week, other than the Home Run Derby and All-Star Game, which we already briefly spoke about, was this weekend series against the Blue Jays that just wrapped up today. So, of course, it was a, it was a bit of an interesting series, but, um, you know, I, I, really, I really feel this could have been a sweep for the Yankees, as it was the last time they met up in Yankee Stadium, but the offense was pretty quiet yesterday, on Saturday, 
And it was even pretty quiet to start the game today and quiet a a lot of times on Friday night too. And if you even go back to the final two games in Tampa, the offense was a bit silent then as well. But again, a bit of a small sample size. It's, you know, an offense as good as the Yankees and as good as they were in the first half, especially in the times where everyone was on the IL and and the lineup was way overachieving. And they were just doing a fantastic job in a time where they were just supposed to stay at 500 if they were lucky. The lineup's due to have some hiccups at some points. It happens. It's part of the season. It's a long year. This is set to happen sometimes. It's okay. (laughs) I'm sure they'll come back. But nonetheless, the series started out on Friday, of course. And Friday came around. I was like, oh my God. Thank God Yankee baseball is back. It was like torture waiting for it to come back. I don't know sometimes how we, especially I, I don't know how we survived the winter. We go four months maybe without any baseball at all. Going nuts on Twitter, throwing trade proposals at each other and driving each other crazy and not having the boys playing. And I, I don't know how we make it past the winter. I really don't know. I have no clue how we make it past those four months. And then four days in the All-Star break, we're all like at each other's throats on Twitter. We're begging for baseball to start back up. We can't wait. It's... It's like a, a savagery environment. It's awful. <laughs> uh, so Friday came around and I was like, oh, finally they're back. Thank God. <laughs> so Herman took the hill to start the second half. Refreshing guy to start things up again. And it did end up being refreshing because he did a great job. He earned his 11th victory, drove his earned run average down to 340, went six shutout innings. Probably could have gone longer, but they probably want to limit him a little bit, of course. Because I believe he's already passed. I believe Herman's already passed the most innings he's ever thrown in a season before. Over 120, I, I believe. So they're, they're probably going to start taking his innings away a little bit. So he was in the upper 70s in the pitch count by the time he finished the sixth inning. And he did not come out for the seventh. Which was fine because the bullpen handled, handled the rest of it. Canely would pitch a scoreless seventh inning. And then Chad Green would finish off the last two innings, the eighth and the ninth. So Herman did a great job. Six innings, only allowed three three hits. Didn't walk anybody. Seven strikeouts, no runs, of course. And the Yankee offense was quiet for a lot, blowing a lot of opportunities. But DJ LeMay, he was finally able to get them on the board after a guardy triple. He grounded out to second. A nice play at second would keep it to a ground out, resulting in an RBI. Could have been an RBI single if the diving play wasn't made. But nonetheless, it got the Yankees on the board in a game in which they blew some opportunities in the innings prior, so it felt good to get a run-up. And then Edwin Encarnacion, who, you know, has not been doing much at all with the bat since coming over to the Yankees, he comes up in a big spot with the bases loaded and clears the bases with a double. He shot a ball right to the middle of the left center field wall by the visitor's bullpen. And it was a shot. Off the bat, I mean, maybe... Maybe I thought, uh, maybe it doesn't have enough height, which it did not. But off the bat, I was like, that is a chance to get out of here and be a grand salami. It didn't end up being a grand slam. It was it was a three-run double, but it was it's still great. That was the big hit that they needed, and I thought that was going to be the big thing to turn them around. Of course, that would not happen the next day. But as far as Friday night, that would be all they needed because it would be 4 to nothing, and that would be the score they won by. So Friday night went well. Yesterday afternoon was on a whole other level. Very frustrating. I wasn't able to catch the end of the game because I went to go see Spider-Man Far From Home for the second time because I'm a Marvel psychopath. 
But but I did hear and then see on highlights, of course, what happened at the end of yesterday's game. And it was just really frustrating. More innings than I care to count about bases loaded, one out or two outs. Bases loaded, again, with one out maybe. First and second. Runner on second and third or a runner on first. Just, just getting base runners but not bringing them home. So many... So many situations throughout yesterday afternoon's game that that happened in. And, you know, of course, the running and scoring, the runners in scoring position fails are frustrating, but you can't really get on the team as of yet unless this becomes a long-term thing, which you hope it doesn't. But, you know, with how they've done this year so far, six games up in first place, the offensive success that they've had through all their hardships, I find it really hard to get on them about anything at this point. But it was frustrating on Saturday. Listen... It's always frustrating when that happens. But you can't act like it's been going on forever. Because it hasn't been. Especially not this year. But it happened yesterday. It's set to happen some days, guys. What are you going to do? So the Yankees were only able to muster up one run. And But the most frustrating thing for me about yesterday's game was that this offensive drought... Had to happen on a day where Jay Happ, for the second start in a row, is actually looking pretty good. Like he he's actually he's actually looking more confident in his fastball, his two seamer, his sinker, his breaking ball, even which I've always thought was a very meh pitch, <laughs> very blah. But it's it just he's he's looked better in the last two, maybe three starts. I don't remember what happened three starts ago to him, but you know, his last start before the break in Tampa looked pretty good. And he looked pretty good yesterday. So again, maybe this is a sign of J-Hap potentially channeling some second half 2018 J-Hap. That would certainly be a beautiful thing because if you remember second half 2018 J-Hap, <laughs> then you're remembering 7-0 and with an ERA in the mid-2s, which is very good. So hopefully that happens. But the Yankees couldn't muster up a run for him until the bottom of the ninth when it was a little too late. Because... What would happen is, and, I, and this guy couldn't get out of New York fast enough, this new all-of-a-sudden Yankee killer, Randall Grichuk, oh my god, he's a pest when he plays the Yankees, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, kudos to him, good for him, but oh my goodness, is it annoying <laughs> on this end. So, he blooped a single, I mean, it was, a, it was an inning where Jay, where Jay Happ was done and then Ottavino came in for him, and then I believe there was a double steal, and, and then... And then a bloop single to right field scored the two runs for the Blue Jays. That'd be all they needed. It would be 2 nothing. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, Glaber could have caught that over the shoulder. Or, oh, Judge could have been charging it more. But what are you going to do? It's, it, it sucks, but it's part of it. It fell in. The Yankees should probably be able to muster up more than two runs with that lineup. So, you know, but they didn't. In the bottom of the ninth, Aaron Judge would end up getting an RBI single. And Luke Voigt would be up with runners on the corners and two outs. And he would end up looking at strike three to end the game. The Blue Jays would win two to one. Now, there's a lot more to this stuff that I will definitely get to when it comes to these games in just a moment. But let's just briefly talk about today's game, which went better for the Yankees again. Started to look a little iffy around the middle of it, but then it ended up okay. Because today's game, Gio Urshela was basically doing all the work until Mike Talkman went deep for for a solo shot. He also had a nice catch in the game. But Gio Urshela started things off towards the beginning of the game against Marcus Stroman. Ironically, Marcus Stroman, who's on the trade market, likely. 
And Gio Rochella hit a two-run single to put the Yankees up 2-0 early. But then later on, Tanaka, who had a who had a pretty good start, six innings, two runs, five strikeouts. The only things he gave up, really, two mistakes to, guess who, Randall Grichuk and Eric Sogard, who each went deep for solo shots of their own. That would tie the game at two, and then Gio Urshela again later on would end up scoring on a wild pitch by Marcus Stroman. And then, of course, as I just said before, Mike Talkman would go deep later on with a solo shot to make it four to two. And after that, Ottavino would only throw five pitches to only get one out. So I found that a little strange. Maybe it was for the matchup. Maybe something else was going on. But we haven't heard anything about Ottavino, so I guess it was just a matchup thing. Because I think they sent up Rowdy Telez to the plate after that, and I guess they didn't want Ottavino facing the lefty. So they bought in Canely, and Canely ended up getting the final two outs of the inning. Zach Britton would pitch a scoreless inning, get two strikeouts, and then Chapman would, would wrap it up nicely. The Yankees win 4-2. to two. But there's one thing, and I'm very happy the Yankees were able to pull out and win the series. But there's one thing that really frustrated me and was very evident throughout this entire series, and I cannot help myself but talk about it because it has gotten so utterly ridiculous. So, one big issue that was really in this series, I mean, it's usually always around in almost every game, honestly. It's constantly a problem, so I'm not I'm not singling, singling it out and saying, oh, it only happens to the Yankees. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that. It happens all the time, and I don't blame anybody else for being as frustrated as I am when it does, because it is so freaking annoying at this point. The umpiring behind the plate is such an issue, and I'm also not blaming it totally on why the Yankees didn't score more runs yesterday, or, you know... Or it may, maybe in some instances, maybe in some instances, it could be a reason why more runs aren't scored. It could be, you don't know. But I'm not saying it definitely is. Like, oh, if this call wasn't made, they definitely would have scored. I don't know what would happen if the situation went differently. Because I can't look into the future. I'm not Doctor Strange with the time stone, <laughs> so I, I don't know for sure. But all I know, especially in big spots, you cannot be making some of the calls that these umpires do behind the plate, especially guys that need to retire like Joe West. He made a call on Aaron Judge the other day. I believe it was on Friday night. And even the umpire yesterday made awful calls, and today. It's it's all the time. Whether it be not knowing the height, if they call one too low, or they call one that's, that's in the other batter's box, which happens more times than I care to count. Everybody makes mistakes. I get it. But a lot of these umpires, they just don't know how to do their job. They don't. And a lot of people say, oh, you should go behind the plate and do it. Then. But I'm not lobbying to be a professional umpire. These guys are professionals. They're hired by Major League Baseball. They're paid a lot of money. They should not screw up the amount that they do. I expect mistakes, of course, because they're still human beings. But the the rate that they mess up calls is ridiculous. The main issue I have is when these umpires are going to get Aaron Judge's strike zone correct. When is it going to happen, guys? He's 6'7". I was just talking about this to my friend Gina Pacifico on Twitter. The other day when we were hanging out, I was talking about this. I said, he's six feet, seven inches tall, Aaron Judge. He's not your average six foot one, six foot two player standing there at the plate. His knees are going to be higher. His legs are going to be higher because he's tall. He's a freak of nature, Aaron Judge. 
So calls when you call a strike at his shins, that's not right. You have to adjust the strike zone. And to a certain degree, I know the players should be like, oh, they're probably going to call the low strike, so maybe I should swing at it. But then that usually results in the player making dumb mistakes at the plate. And that doesn't need to happen when the umpire could simply just readjust their strike zone when Aaron Judge comes to the plate. I mean, these guys have never gotten it right. Joe West called one that was a foot off the plate the other day. And so many others have called it when it is well under his knees. And it's not just Aaron Judge. These guys call awful strikes. I am all for keeping the umpires at the bases around the diamond. But my God, am I also an advocate for the robot umpire behind the plate. The robot umpire or just let the box call strikes. I don't care. I've just had it. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, it's going to get rid of the human element though. I don't care about the human element. I'm not saying take all the umpires away either. I'm saying just take it away from behind the plate. The base umpires can stay there. Especially because usually, almost everything, if not everything, on the bases can be challenged anyway. But I mean, when you're in a big spot in a game, whether you like the human element or not, a pitch is a foot off the plate and it's called strike three, you want to tell me that you're not at least a little frustrating when that ends a big rally that your team is having in a crucial spot? I find that hard to believe. And I know a lot of people agree with me on this. I know it. Because I've spoken to hundreds of people that feel the same way. I know not all people agree with the human element. They need the human being umpire back there. But I've also been in the same room as a lot of people that do feel that way when they watch a game, and when it happens, they're just as angry as I am. But isn't getting a call correct more important to you than maintaining the human element? Because me personally, I would rather something happen in a game that's supposed to happen, and the call being correct, than caring about what's behind the plate. I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, the human element not being there. It doesn't. I don't care. I want the call being correct. And I know you may think I'm overreacting to this, but it just happens so often. It happens so often, guys. It, it's, it's just like, when is enough enough? You ask yourself, when is enough enough? And I just had to blow up about it today because it happened so many times this weekend. It's happened so many times this whole year. It's happened so many times since I started watching baseball. Since anybody started watching baseball. I get it always happens. I get it. But at what point is enough enough? And guys like Joe West, guys like Angel Hernandez, they just don't care about the jobs. They don't care. What is Joe West still doing umpiring? He's almost 67 years old, and he clearly has a lot of trouble seeing because some of the pitches he calls strikes are just an abomination. So many people are the same way, too. And, And I don't even know. Who knows if they feel bad when they go back and look at it later and it's dead wrong. It's a problem. You have to get more calls correct. I mean, I don't know where Major League Baseball finds some of these guys. I don't know. I don't know where they find some of them. I believe there was a strike call on Romine today that was called. It was so below his knees and underneath the box. I was like, how do you call that a strike? (laughs) 
I'm sorry if you think I'm being annoying right now. It's just the way I feel about it. And, I, and again, I know so many others feel the same way. I don't care about the human element. Some of these umpires are so incompetent to the point that it is so alarming that something needs to be done about it. I mean, I'm an advocate for the robot umpires behind the plate, at the very least. I am definitely an advocate for that. I just... Oh my god. Just fix the awful strike calling, especially in those situations. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly from Friday, I don't remember each and every single at-bat, but I'm pretty sure Aaron Judge was in a pretty big situation. And it was a pitch that was so inside on him. And was called strike three by Joe West, who also takes 20 years to call a strike three. I, I, quite frankly, with how many at-bats and how many how many walks he's probably had taken away from, or how many hits he's had taken away from because he's, he's called out in an, in an at-bat early because of umpires not being able to figure out a strike zone. I don't know how Aaron Judge hasn't to- totally lost his mind by now. I admire him for not losing his mind like that because we all know the kind of guy Aaron Judge is. He's a classy stand-up guy. He doesn't want to make a bad example for kids. He goes out there. He does his job. You look up to him. He's a great role model. He's a great human being overall to emulate. I get it. But me personally, you know, just the regular guy watching, I guess, and just the regular guy doing a podcast about the Yankees, I don't know how he has not blown his gasket on an umpire yet over this. Because in his young career, you cannot deny that this has happened to him a lot. A lot. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll see if one day he does explode. But I, I don't think it's very, it's very, you know, it's very likely that he'll do so. But we'll see. Anything's possible. But regardless, I do think that needs to be fixed. But looking forward for the Yankees, of course, as we look forward, we will, I'll say every game they have coming up this week, of course, tomorrow night, the Rays are coming to town, a big four-game series in the Bronx, and on the hill, matching up will be Blake Snell against James Paxton, the Yankees have handled Snell a lot well during the year at times, and also on Tuesday night, also at 7.05, TBD for the Rays starting pitcher. They might be using an opener. Who knows? He will be going against Sabathia. On Wednesday, it's set to be Yanni Chirinos against Herman, also a 7 o'clock game. And then Thursday, also a 7 o'clock game. All night games is this upcoming four-game series against the Rays. It should be Charlie Morton against Jay Happ. And then you look ahead to Friday. We got an interleague matchup. The Colorado Rockies are coming to town, coming to the Bronx. As this long homestand continues, they'll be playing three games against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. The pitchers are TBD, are TBD all around, of course, on both teams for all three games because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen yet come those games. Friday's game is going to be a 7 o'clock game, of course. Friday, Friday games are usually always night games, as we know. Saturday will be a day game at 1.05 p.m. Eastern. And Sunday will also be 1.05 p.m. Eastern, all three against the Rockies. So coming up, the Yankees have the Tampa Bay Rays for four games, and then next weekend for three games, they have the Colorado Rockies. But for now, guys, that is all the time that we do have on 
Today's edition of Yapping Yankees, episode 5, the second half begins. I would like to thank you so, so much for tuning in. As always, once more, want to give one more shout out to Team Left Jab. Team Left Jab, United Radio Network. Find them across all social media platforms at Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. As for all of you guys, thank you so much, as always, for the continued support. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms. My Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And for now, if you want to talk to me at all or follow me or whatever, you that is the way to contact me and get your question, comment, concern voiced on the podcast. You can DM me anytime you want. I promise I don't bite. I don't, I'm not the one that says no DMs or anything like that. You can DM me anytime you want. At Mike Scudero on Twitter, that is definitely the social media platform I am most active on. I am disgustingly active on Twitter, and I always love talking to the Twitter family. It's a lot of fun. I love Twitter. And also on Instagram, you can find me. I promote the podcast a lot on there as well, especially on my Insta story. You can follow me on Instagram at MikeScuds97. So that's where you can find me on Instagram. But again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in again Next Sunday night, next Sunday night as always, will be episode 6 of Yapping Yankees as this great podcast continues. Another great time doing it today, of course. I always have fun doing this podcast. It's always a blast, and always hearing back from you guys, of course, is so, so much fun. So again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next Sunday night. Mike Scudero signing out for the evening. I'll talk to you next Sunday. Take care.